We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 374 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, August 11th, 2022. One month from today is September 11th. It is on that day that we will have the Commander's 2022 regular season opener. Yes, my friends, we are now exactly a month away from the start of the Commanders 2022 regular season. Commanders versus the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon, September 11th at 1. Uh, In the meantime, we have a three-game preseason for the Commanders that'll get going this Saturday afternoon at 1 against the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field. And so I have a podcast schedule adjustment, a special podcast schedule adjustment announcement for you right now. Uh, Normally, this podcast, of course, is a Monday through Friday endeavor. New episode each weekday morning out by the 5 a.m. hour and often much earlier than the 5 a.m. hour. However, with the commanders playing on Saturday afternoon and with not much happening in Washington, D.C. sports on Thursday, at least as far as we know, who knows what might pop up, Uh, What I'm going to do is not do a show for Friday, but do a show for Sunday. Is that all right? Is that fair? No show for Friday, but a Commander's host game show installment of the podcast for Sunday of their preseason opener on Saturday afternoon. Why wait to do the Commander's post game show installment of the podcast for Monday when I can do that for Sunday? I think that that makes the most sense. Now, as is always the case when I do not do an episode of the podcast on a weekday, if something major happens, then I will do an episode of the podcast for Friday. The plan is for no show, but if something big happens, then there will be a show. So if the commanders on Thursday trade for Patrick Mahomes, I'll do a show for Friday. Uh, If Dan Snyder on Thursday sells the commanders, I'll do a show. For Friday, but otherwise, no show for Friday, but an oh so special show for Sunday. By the way, we on Saturday afternoon will learn of the new fight song for our commanders. Uh, they have announced 
that they will debut their new fight song in a pregame ceremony on Saturday afternoon beginning at 12.45. I mentioned Dan Snyder. He has spoken. Yeah, Danny spoke. Dan, on Wednesday morning, virtually addressed the Maryland State Lottery and Gaming Control Agency. Uh, This in the commander's quest for a sportsbook license at FedEx Field. I have audio. I will play that audio for you next segment. Wait until you hear what Dan said. Oh, we will have some scheduled fun with that. Uh, Also next segment, the latest from Commander's training camp, including an update on a key member of the team's offensive line who remains out with injury, Trey Turner. He's supposed to be the team's starting right guard for this coming season. He may well still end up being the team's starting right guard, but he has not been practicing for a while uh, due to a quadriceps ailment. How's he doing? And uh, what exactly is going on here? You will hear from Ron Rivera. Also on the show, a special commander's analysis segment. Uh, Off all of this recent talk about Carson Wentz's accuracy and inaccuracy, the time has come to examine something that also comes up quite a bit with Carson and is related to the Carson Wentz accuracy conversation. And that something is interceptions. Uh, In sports, as is often the case in life, right, there's the narrative And then there's the truth. A narrative with Carson is that he has an interception problem. Well, what I have for you is the truth. It's time for the truth. The fact-based, fake news, smashing truth. The truth about Carson Wentz and interceptions coming up in just a bit. Uh, And I'll talk Nationals. Uh, They, on a Wednesday afternoon, lost at the Chicago Cubs 4-2, despite a strong start from Josiah Gray, and despite yet another home run by this guy, Joey Manessis. Know your Nats, Joey Manessis. He's a rookie in his age 30 season. Uh, This season was his 10th minor league season, and he, in this now-concluded three-game series at the Cubs, homered in each game. And he now, for the Nats, has hit four home runs in seven career major league games. Not bad. Uh, What was bad for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon was their bullpen and was a key throwing error by Victor Robles. Uh, No game for the Orioles on Wednesday night. Game three of their big three-game series against the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards got rained out, uh, will be made up as part of a Labor Day single admission doubleheader on September 5th beginning at 1.05 p.m., but here's what most matters with the O's. They now are tied for the American League's third wildcard spot. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday afternoon lost at the Milwaukee Brewers 4-3 in 10 innings, and so the O's and Rays, as we speak, are tied for the American League's third wildcard spot. We call that a win in Birdland. Joe Angel, talk to me. And the Orioles again in the win column. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Joe. Thank you very much for that. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Ezra, who is from Silver Spring, Maryland. And Ezra has a very interesting take on the commanders, writes Ezra. I have to ask, do you watch every Nationals game in depth so you can give us a full recap the next morning? 
The same goes for Wizards and Capitals games. If so, you're putting in more effort than the Nationals player development system, <laughs> and you're clearly getting better results than the player development system. Listen, I have a bit of a hot take, but hear me out. The Commanders very well could be Washington's next championship contender. Despite all of the dysfunction around the team, the Commanders field a team certainly capable of winning the division, if all goes right, a big if. Meanwhile, the Capitals have three to four years max of top-tier contention in a loaded NHL, whereas the Nationals are entering a years-long rebuild and the Wizards are forever stuck in vanilla purgatory with a glut of mediocre role players. Call me crazy, but I think that the Commanders could be Washington's best team in a few years. When's the last time that we could say that? 1991? Before the Nationals even came to Washington? Definitely not during the Redskins slash Commanders playoff seasons of the 2000s, during which Gilbert Arenas held court in Washington, and certainly not in 2012, 2017, or 2020, the time during which Alex Ovechkin and the Nationals, many stars, ruled the district. As always, thank you for keeping up the podcast. As a college student in New York City, I'm surrounded by New York fans, and this podcast keeps me sane. I'm an everyday listener, and I hope this podcast never ends. Love it. Keep up the noble fight. Uh, thank you for that, Ezra. Very nice email. Uh, yes, I do watch <laughs> every Nats game in depth. Uh, I do that for this podcast, and I do that for the other podcast that I do, the Nats Chat Podcast with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. Watching every Nats game in depth probably isn't good for me, but uh, I do do that. Uh, as for the Commanders being Washington, D.C.'s next true championship contender, in terms of the big four teams of D.C., the Commanders, Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards. Uh, I still would say that right now, the Caps have the best chance of winning a championship. Now, to Ezra's point, maybe that does change over these next few years. But the Caps, while aging, and while they have been eliminated in the first round of each of the last four Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, are still consistently having very good regular seasons. And so there is a level of excellence that the Caps consistently get to that no other DC team is getting to right now. And I don't know that we can just assume that this is going to stop for the Caps and start for another team. Uh, and if the Caps have, in fact, upgraded at goaltender, as we hope that they have uh, via what they did in July, signing unrestricted free agent goaltender Darcy Kemper to a five-year, $26.25 million contract, uh, then the Caps are in an even better position. Uh, also, you got to keep in mind, too, the nature of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The nature of the Stanley Cup playoffs is such that we have had many series upsets over the years and many lower-seeded teams make deep runs over the years. And so a team that is flawed, as the Caps are flawed, uh, still has a shot at a deep run come the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, even though, yes, uh, the Caps postseason history is not good. Uh, the Caps have been eliminated in a first or second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in 29 of the franchise's 32 all-time postseason appearances. For the Commanders to become a true championship contender, they need to get a franchise quarterback or at least have a quarterback who, for a season, plays like a franchise quarterback. Could Carson Wentz do that? Uh, perhaps. But I think that the realistic ceiling for Carson with the Commanders is for him to be a good playoff-caliber quarterback for multiple seasons. Championship-caliber quarterback is asking a lot. And in today's NFL, if you don't have a championship caliber quarterback, it's very hard to win a championship. Not impossible, 
uh, but very hard. Email from Joe in Silver Spring, Maryland on the Nats off trading Juan Soto. Uh, writes Joe, excellent podcast. As usual, I wanted to share a few thoughts on the Nats from the perspective of a lifetime O's fan, having grown up on them in the late 80s when they were Washington's baseball team. Look, I know how Nats fans are feeling right now. As Sadly, they are right where the O's were three to four years ago, with, of course, the obvious difference that Washington won the World Series in 2019. Your take that Washington's need to trade Soto for prospects stems from the team's lack of attention to the farm system in recent years is spot on. However, I would add that the Nats' weak farm system and total collapse since their World Series win directly led to them not being able to sign Soto. Why would a player like Soto want to sign a long-term deal with a team that has zero chance to compete over the next five years. It seems unlikely. Given the options, elite players typically want to play on elite teams. However, the team also made him a below-market offer that I assume they knew he wouldn't take and then immediately leaked the offer. So it would seem that the team decided at some point that the team did not want to sign Soto to a long-term deal and chose to try to make the player look greedy on the way out. Ouch. Not a good look, learners. On Mike Rizzo, his accomplishments with the Nats should not be discounted. He built a championship-winning team, and he should be recognized for what he has done. But he has not built a perennial winner. He used years of awfulness to luck into two can't-miss number one draft picks in Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg, and also lucked into Max Scherzer, who ended up signing one of the very few big-money free agent starting pitcher contracts that the player actually outperformed over the life of the deal. That almost never happens. See Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. But to win that World Series, he completely emptied the cupboard. It actually reminds me a lot of the O's having the winningest record in the American League between 2012 through 2016. It was built on a house of cards, was unsustainable, and came quickly crashing down. In fact, the comparisons to the O's are eerie. Take the Austin Vogt situation coming from the Nats to the O's and him talking about how much more into analytics and technology the O's are with their pitching development techniques. That's exactly what us O's fans heard back when Zach Britton was traded to the Yankees. He said pretty much the exact same thing, that the O's just didn't provide pitchers with the tools that he was being shown in New York. Now the Nats are where the O's were prior to them hiring Mike Elias, and the O's have the best farm system in baseball and a very bright future. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you for the email, Joe. Uh, You hit on a lot of stuff that I've talked about on the podcast. It's tricky with Mike Rizzo, but to me, multiple things can be true. It is true that Rizzo took over a mess of a situation when he became the Nats general manager in 2009, and he did a great job of building up the organization to where it had that great run from 2012 through 2019. Eight consecutive winning seasons, five playoff seasons, four National League East winning seasons, and a 2019 World Series title. But it's also true that Rizzo has had a bad last decade of drafting and developing players, and that the organization is behind the times in analytics, and that while Rizzo was the right man for the job in 2009, it may be that he is not the right man for the job in 2022. I think that the jury is very much out on whether Mike Rizzo is the man to lead the Nats out of their current horrible state. I have a lot of respect for Mike Rizzo, but he deserves a lot of the blame for why the Nats are where they are. 
Well, if someone's negligence is to blame for harm that you or someone who you care about has suffered, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Uh, Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly one point eight million dollars. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. <laughs> uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, we now are a full 15 days into 2022 Commander's Training Camp, which is taking place at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. Day one of camp was Wednesday, July 27th. Day 15 of camp was Wednesday, August 10th. Uh, we this weekend have the Commander's preseason opener home to the Carolina Panthers Saturday afternoon at one. Uh, in case you're curious, uh, Wednesday at Commander's Training Camp did not include another Commander's assistant coach being fired. <laughs> uh, we on Tuesday morning had that surprising news. Head coach Rod Rivera firing defensive line coach Sam Mills III. Assistant defensive line coach Jeff Scanina was promoted to defensive line coach. Uh, Ron, during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning, did get asked about how the Commander's defensive linemen are responding to the coaching change. Uh, here was Ron's answer, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Well, I just think they've accepted and understood that this is something that I did and, and you know, with what I think is in, in our best interest. And, you know, I think they've adapted and handled it very well. Was there any question from them about timing just a couple days before preseason? No. No. I, I mean, that's the thing I appreciate is, you know, these guys pretty much, they do their, they do their thing. And, um, you know, they're professionals. They understand. Uh, I love what Jonathan said, you know. Football is a great sport, but it's a tough business. The players responded now that 
Scanina's in charge? Well, I just think they've accepted and understood that this is something that I did and, and you know, with what I think is in, in our best interest. And, you know, I think they've adapted and handled it very well. Was there any question from them about timing just a couple days before preseason? No. No, I, I mean that's the thing I appreciate is, you know, these guys pretty much they do their they do their thing, and um, you know they're professionals. They understand. Uh, I love what Jonathan said. You know, football is a great sport, but it's a tough business. Yes, it is. Ron Rivera, Don Ron, whacking Sam Mills the third. I still can't get over that. A man with whom Ron had worked going back to Ron's time as Panthers head coach, a certified member of the Carolina Mafia, a commander whacked by Don Ron. On Tuesday morning, Uh, when it came to injuries on Wednesday, you know, every day at commander's training camp is different in terms of who is and isn't practicing. So like I've said, you can't get too crazy every day with who is and isn't practicing. What you're looking for are trends. An undeniable trend has been the absence of guard Trey Turner. Uh, He has not been practicing. Uh, The expectation had been that Trey Turner would be the commander's starting right guard for this coming season. He still may well be the team's starting right guard for this coming season. I have thought that Wes Schweitzer might have something to say about this, Uh, but Trey Turner has been out for a while now with a quadriceps ailment. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on Trey Turner, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with commander's insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. He's dealing with a quad. And he's a veteran guy. I mean, if he was a younger guy, he'd probably be doing a lot more than he's done right now, um, because he's a veteran guy. He knows how you know. He knows our system. Um, he knows the techniques that, that we need. There's not a need to push him out there a lot sooner. He's doing a lot of work. Doing a lot of work inside. Um, today was, I think, the first day he was really outside doing some work. I don't know if you guys saw him over in the corner, but uh, for the most part, Nikki, it, 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 like I said, if he was a younger guy in his third, fourth year, he, he'd probably been outside a few days uh, ago. But we're taking our time with a veteran guy. With somebody like that, a veteran who knows the system well, do you even risk putting him in preseason games? Well, we'd like to get him, you know, in, 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 in at least, you know, one, get a nice series, get himself ready, because conditioning is very important. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and again, we expect him probably out here, you know, in, in probably within the next 10 days. Okay. Um, but again, he's a veteran guy, and yeah. so we don't have any concern okay. as far as that's concerned. <laughs> All right. What Ron Rivera said right there made sense. But at the same time, Trey Turner's health has got to be at least somewhat of a concern right now. And keep in mind that it's not like Trey Turner is coming off a great last two seasons. So the 2022 season will be Trey Turner's age 29 season. The commanders this past May 2nd announced the signing of Turner as an unrestricted free agent. He was a very good guard for, yes, the Panthers for years. So the Panthers took Trey Turner in the third round of the 2014 NFL Draft out of LSU. He played for the Panthers for six seasons, 2014 through 2019. Uh, So Turner played for Ron Rivera during his time as Panthers head coach. Ron was Panthers head coach from January 2011 to December 2019. And Turner played for Commander's offensive line coach John Matsko during his time as Panthers offensive line coach. Uh, Matsko was the Panthers' offensive line coach from 2011 through 2015 and was their running game coordinator from 2016 through 2019. Trey Turner, during his time with the Panthers, made the Pro Bowl in each of five consecutive seasons, 2015 through 2019. Uh, But Turner's career has fallen off over the last two seasons. Uh, The Panthers, in March 2020, traded Turner 
to the Los Angeles Chargers for left tackle Russell Okun. But Turner in the 2020 regular season for the Chargers played in just nine games due to a groin injury, and he was not good. His overall grade for pro football focus for that 2020 regular season was a woeful 34.8. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. The Chargers in March 2021 released Turner. Uh, Turner in June 2021 signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers as an unrestricted free agent. He, in the 2021 regular season for the Steelers, did start all 17 of their games, but he, in the 2021 regular season per PFF, had an overall grade of 69.4 and allowed seven sacks. And Turner, in the 2021 regular season, committed six penalties. And Turner was part of a Steelers offensive line that was not good. Uh, The Steelers, for that 2021 regular season, finished number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in team pass block win rate for ESPN at 49% and finished number 30 out of 32 NFL teams in team run block win rate per ESPN at 67%. So you consider all of that and then you add this quadriceps ailment with which Trey Turner has been dealing for weeks now. And yeah, I mean, you do wonder uh, about what the commanders will be getting from Trey Turner this coming season. Now, also on Wednesday, were believe it or not comments From the owner, yes, from Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. Comments from the Danny. The Danny these days, like, never speaks publicly, especially with him having been on his superyacht, known as the Lady S, in an attempt to avoid being subpoenaed by Congress uh, in its investigation of the team's workplace misconduct scandal. Now, remember, Dan, on July 28th, did testify before Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform. He testified virtually, and he technically testified voluntarily, uh, not under a subpoena. And very interestingly, we still have heard very little about what exactly was said. No transcript has been released by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which previously had had no problem releasing a number of documents regarding the investigation into the scandal. So we'll see if a transcript ends up coming out. But anyway, Danny on Wednesday morning virtually addressed the Maryland State Lottery and Gaming Control Agency, uh, this in the commander's quest for a sportsbook license at FedEx Field. Uh, Now, the commanders did receive initial approval for a sportsbook license at FedEx Field by the commission, but the team still must receive more stringent approval from a second oversight board. It's not clear if the license approval and the construction of the sportsbook will be complete by week one of this coming season. Uh, The commanders in week one are at home, uh, home to the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday afternoon, September 11th. But for our purposes for this segment, uh, what was especially notable about Dan addressing the Maryland State Lottery and Gaming Control Agency on Wednesday morning was that the audio came out uh, so we can hear the words, the real-life words of our guy, Dan. Uh, Take a listen to what went down with Dan. Number one, would you please identify yourself? Uh, Daniel Mark Snyder. All right, if you're going to comment, I need to swear you in. Do you solemnly swear or affirm under the penalties of perjury that any statement you will make in this matter will be the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Yes, sir. Yes. Thank you. You may address the commission. I just wanted to thank uh, uh, everyone at uh, uh, overall, uh, not only the Maryland Lottery uh, Gaming, but uh, just uh, Prince George's County, 
where our stadium is has been headquartered and uh, I, I want to thank uh, 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 it just uh, it's it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, our stadium we've uh, dramatically upgraded we, we're encouraging everybody to come to uh, see all the changes we've done uh, to the stadium this year I think it'll be quite impressive we're going to have some uh, uh, big time attendance shortly as uh, our staff, uh, our leadership team, Jason Wright and uh, Trista and the team have, have done an amazing job. So I, I, I uh, we're very, very optimistic also on the season. Uh, we we finally uh, ha- have ourselves a quarterback. So uh, but uh, I wanted to say uh, thanks to everyone. I re- really, truly appreciate this. All right. Well, nice to hear from Dan Snyder. Nice to hear from the Danny, right? We so rarely hear from the Danny anymore as he is hiding on his super yacht. Uh, The three things that stood out from what Dan had to say right there. A, Dan said that the team has, quote, dramatically upgraded, end quote, FedEx Field. B, Dan said that the team is, quote, gonna have some big time... (laughs) <laughs> let me let me say it with a straight face, okay? Gonna have some big time attendance shortly. End quote. C. Dan said, "Quote: We finally have ourselves a quarterback." End quote. How about all three of those things? The team has dramatically upgraded FedEx Field. The team is <laughs> say it with a straight face, okay? The team is going to be having some big-time attendance shortly, and the team finally has itself a quarterback. Hey, I hope like heck that all three of those things are true, okay? I do. Trust me. I would love for all three of those things to be true. We shall see if all of those things end up being true. Uh, As the saying goes, to be continued. Uh, By the way, if you are any of Washington's recent quarterbacks, How do you feel about the owner of the team saying, quote, we finally have ourselves a quarterback, end quote? I mean, you know, there may be truth in that, okay? Like I said, I hope that there is truth in that. But like, how do you think that Taylor Heineke feels about Dan Snyder saying that or Alex Smith feels about Dan saying that? Probably not great. Not that we should be all wrapped up in players' feelings, uh, but I got a kick out of that. Uh, Speaking of the commanders finally having themselves a quarterback, uh, up next, I will present to you the truth about that quarterback, the truth about Carson Wentz and interceptions. But the truth about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is that now is the time. Yes, now. The rise in mortgage rates has led to a rise in inventory, leading to a reduction in prices. I read to you from DC Urban Turf, quote, inventory has bottomed out in the region with big increases in the availability of both single family detached homes and townhomes in many local markets. And quote, now is the time to buy, especially with rents going up. And when it comes to getting a deal done to buy the Washington DC area home that you want, Ain't nobody better than Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want No matter your situation in life, whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance or you have a young family looking for a bigger home or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt 
can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want that? given inflation. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. All right, so we lately have had a lot of talk about the accuracy of our commander starting quarterback Carson Wentz and how he has been doing at commander's training camp and what this means for the upcoming season and what this says about Carson as an NFL quarterback. And all of this talk has become kind of crazy, but, you know, how Carson is doing is a big deal. And how he does this upcoming season matters a lot. Here was Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning on the progression of Carson Wentz and the team's offense. Well, I think the biggest thing more than anything else is just, you know, watching him continue to work and try and get a feel for that timing with that receiver group. You know, that's one of the hardest things you've got to do because you've got a group of guys terrifically fast, uh, but they all have their own speed and quickness. And some guys come out of breaks a little differently than others with a little bit more drive. Some guys, it takes a little buildup. And he's got to get used to that as he goes through it. And as you start to see, you know, one minute he's throwing to Terry, who's, 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 who runs a, a specific way. Then he throws the ball to Jahan, who's really smooth at what he does. And then you see him throwing it to Curtis, who's got this, you know, this, this, this explosiveness to him. And it's all three different ways he's got to throw the ball on the same route. Okay, so Ron Rivera right there admitting that Carson Wentz still is adjusting to throwing to the commander's receivers, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel. Uh, Jahan on Wednesday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on Carson Wentz. Overall, great quarterback, uh, someone I, I really look up to. Um, he puts it on the money anytime I need it there. Uh, so I, it's, like I said, it's my job to go get it, um, and he, he puts it there. There you go. Jahan Dodson, no complaints about Carson Wentz's accuracy. Uh, As you have probably figured out, uh, there are a lot of narratives about Carson, and certainly a lot of the narratives are fair. The questions and concerns about Carson's leadership and coachability are fair questions and concerns. These aren't just made-up issues. Uh, It's also possible, though, that Carson has grown out of those issues. We'll see. But there's a specific Carson Wentz narrative that I've been wanting to talk about with you. And now is a good time to talk about this narrative. And that is the narrative that Carson Wentz has an interception problem. Uh, So let's get into the truth about Carson Wentz and interceptions, because there are a lot of ideas and notions out there. Uh, First of all, and this is kind of random, but one of the quirky things about Carson Wentz is that In four of his last five regular seasons, he has finished with exactly seven interceptions. 
Uh, Carson for the 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2021 regular seasons finished each season with exactly seven interceptions. But that right there, in addition to being odd, uh, also is notable. Uh, Seven interceptions for a quarterback in a regular season isn't a lot of interceptions. Uh, Now, an interception total is only a raw number. Uh, It's what is called a counting stat. Uh, The number of interceptions that a quarterback throws, of course, is dependent on how many passes the quarterback throws. So let's look at a rate stat. Interception percentage, uh, the percentage of pass attempts that result in interceptions. Uh, You get an interception percentage simply by dividing interceptions by pass attempts. Carson Wentz, over his first six NFL regular seasons, 2016 through 2021, has a career interception percentage of just 1.9. That, as we speak, is tied for being the eighth lowest career interception percentage among qualified quarterbacks in NFL history. Let me repeat that. Tied for being the eighth lowest career interception percentage among qualified quarterbacks in NFL history. How many of you listening knew prior to me saying that, that Carson Wentz is top 10 among qualified quarterbacks in NFL history in lowest career interception percentage? Now, you got to take that with a grain of salt. A lot of modern quarterbacks rate well in career interception percentage. Throwing passes in the NFL is a lot different today as compared to decades ago. And it is true that the notion of an interception is problematic in and of itself. Anyone who has ever watched football for any substantial period of time understands that not all interceptions are the same, right? An interception can be the result of an inaccurate throw by a quarterback. An interception can be the result of a drop by the target of the quarterback's throw. An interception can be the result of an end-of-half Hail Mary heave into an end zone. Uh, Just looking at a quarterback's interception total for a season can be misleading. And so football outsiders years ago came up with a great stat called adjusted interceptions. Each NFL offseason, football outsiders tabulates adjusted interceptions for quarterbacks. Uh, Now, the process is rather intricate, okay? Uh, Football outsiders begins with a quarterback's raw interception total for a regular season, Football Outsiders then adds throws on which a quarterback threw a ball that could have or should have been intercepted but was not, either because the defender outright dropped the ball or because the defender had the ball knocked out of his hands by an offensive player. Football Outsiders then subtracts those interceptions that were tipped by offensive players into the hands of defensive players. Football Outsiders then subtracts Hail Mary interceptions and desperation interceptions, uh, those thrown in desperation on fourth downs in the final two minutes of games. Football Outsiders then subtracts dropped interceptions that occurred in Hail Mary situations since those plays would not have counted as adjusted interceptions even if they had been caught. So there is a lot to this process of tabulating adjusted interceptions. But this is a worthy process, and this is an eye-opening process. Uh, Take, for example, the man who in the 2022 offseason replaced Carson Wentz as the Indianapolis Colts starting quarterback, Matt Ryan. 
He in the 2021 regular season for the Atlanta Falcons had 12 actual interceptions versus 19 adjusted interceptions. Big difference. Uh, How about Washington starting quarterback for most of the 2021 regular season, Taylor Heineke? He, for the 2021 regular season, had 15 actual interceptions versus 25 adjusted interceptions. Big difference, and not in a good way for our guy, Tay-Tay. But no NFL quarterback was worse in the 2021 regular season in terms of actual interceptions versus adjusted interceptions than the Pittsburgh Steelers' Ben Roethlisberger. He in his final NFL season, had 10 actual interceptions versus 25 adjusted interceptions. How about that? For Big Ben, a big difference between actual interceptions and adjusted interceptions. And so that brings us to our guy, our commander's starting quarterback, Commander Carson, Carson Wentz. Uh, Here are Carson Wentz's rankings in adjusted interception rate in each of his last four regular seasons, 2018 through 2021. So notice, I'm not even going to look at the best season of Carson's NFL career, 2017, okay? Last four regular seasons for Carson Wentz in adjusted interception rate. Carson, for the 2018 regular season, ranked number 14 out of 34 qualified NFL quarterbacks in lowest adjusted interception rate. Carson for the 2019 regular season ranked number 14 out of 34 qualified quarterbacks in lowest adjusted interception rate. Carson for the 2020 regular season, what was a hideous season for him and really one of the worst seasons that you'll ever see an NFL quarterback have, ranked number 33 out of 36 qualified NFL quarterbacks in lowest adjusted interception rate. But Carson, for the 2021 regular season, ranked number five out of 34 qualified NFL quarterbacks in lowest adjusted interception rate. So for three of the last four regular seasons, Carson Wentz has been in the upper half of qualified NFL quarterbacks in lowest adjusted interception rate. His 2020 season, his final season with the Philadelphia Eagles was awful, no doubt. Carson in the 2020 season reached a level of bad to which very few quarterbacks ever get, okay? His 2020 season was frighteningly bad, but Carson's 2018, 2019, and 2021 seasons were much different and much better. Carson in 2018, 2019, and 2021 was just fine in terms of interceptions, both in terms of his actual interceptions and adjusted interceptions. And he, for the 2021 regular season, ranked number five out of 34 qualified NFL quarterbacks in lowest adjusted interception rate. Number five. And again, I'm talking rate, not a total number of adjusted interceptions, but adjusted interception rate. Rate stats are better than counting stats. So what does all of this mean for the upcoming season for the Commanders? Uh, Well, who the heck knows, okay? I mean, we just don't know. Uh, I have questions and concerns about Carson Wentz. I don't know how you couldn't have questions and concerns about Carson Wentz. But as I have said, the more that I've dug into Carson, 
The more that I've actually looked at the facts as opposed to listen to the narratives, the more that I've liked. And this narrative that Carson has an interception problem or that he throws a lot of interceptions, it's not true. Has he been guilty of some really bad interceptions? Yes. Some of his interceptions for the Colts last season make you want to scream. But, you know, it's also true that pretty much all quarterbacks end up being guilty of bad interceptions to varying degrees. And the truth about Carson Wentz is that while he has been an inaccurate quarterback in his NFL career, and the stats do back that up, he really hasn't had an interception problem in his NFL career. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, another wild game for the Nats at the Chicago Cubs, including a really good start from Josiah Gray, yet another home run by first baseman slash outfielder Joey Manessis, and also, unfortunately, yet another major defensive boo-boo by center fielder Victor Robles. So I'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, given the state of the Nationals, the things to focus on in Nats games right now are not the results of the games, uh, but the performances of potential Nats building blocks within those games. Uh, Think of each remaining Nats game this season as like an exhibition game. The result doesn't matter. What does matter are the performances of potential Nats building blocks. And so from that perspective, there were reasons to be just fine uh, with what went down and the Nats now concluded three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. Uh, The Nats did lose the series, uh, two games to one, including a 4-2 loss on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, The Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a major league worst, 37-76. and But within the series were some strong performances by potential building blocks, including the top two prospects who the Nats got back 
from the Los Angeles Dodgers in a trade for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner now two Julys ago. Uh, we on Wednesday show, episode 373, talked about what one of those prospects did in the Nats 6-5 win at the Cubs on Tuesday night. K-Bert Ruiz, uh, he is the Nats starting catcher and number six batter, went two for three with a three-run homer, a solo homer, and a walk. Uh, and he made some nice defensive plays. Well, the other top prospect who the Nats got in that trade, Josiah Gray, he on Wednesday afternoon had his first truly good start in a while. Uh, Gray in the 4-2 loss at the Cubs on Wednesday afternoon, two runs in six and a third innings. Uh, He had five strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He threw a lot of strikes as he over 96 pitches threw 64 strikes versus 32 balls. Uh, Gray in a Cubs four-run seventh was charged with two runs. He gave up a leadoff homer to Nico Horner to left field to cut the Nats lead to 2-1. And Gray gave up a one-out single to ex-Nat Jan Gomes uh, through the left side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch and then got pulled from the game. Uh, So, you know, Josiah Gray, to me, very encouraging what he did on Wednesday afternoon. And yes, the Nats did lose the game, but honestly, who cares? Josiah Gray pitched well. That matters. He needed that outing. Uh, the Nats needed that outing. Uh, what Gray did on Wednesday afternoon was his first good start in five outings. He had not been pitching well lately. Uh, Gray's outing on Wednesday afternoon, to me, his best outing since a 3-2 win at the Philadelphia Phillies on July 6th, so more than a month ago. Uh, Gray in that game, two runs in six innings with 11 strikeouts versus just one walk uh, and four hits, uh, which were two homers and two singles. The two homers and one of the singles were by another ex-Nat, Kyle Schwarber. Uh, But Josiah Gray was great in that game at the Phillies. The 11 strikeouts were his most ever in a major league regular season game. Now, he wasn't at that level uh, on Wednesday afternoon in this loss at the Cubs, but Josiah Gray was good. Uh, Since that outing at the Phillies on July 6th, Gray had not been good. Uh, including him getting shellacked in his previous outing, a 7-2 loss at the Phillies this past Friday night. Uh, Gray in that game, six runs in four innings, gave up five hits, four home runs, and a triple, and he issued three walks. Uh, Josiah Gray in the 2022 regular season, now 21 starts, ERA of 473. I mean, you really do want to see that come down And the home run remains an issue. He has allowed a major league worst 29 home runs. But he on Wednesday afternoon only gave up one home run. He had five strikeouts versus no walks, and he pitched well. Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon on Josiah Gray. Throughout the whole game, he kept the ball down. He, he elevated when he needed to. Um, and then that last inning, uh, started getting the, the ball balls up. Slider, slider wasn't, didn't have that bite like he had earlier. Um, you know, but that's, uh, you know, six plus innings at, at 96 pitchers. I mean, that's, for, for me, that's, that's a great outing for him after, you know, the couple of, a couple of games of struggles. Um, he made some adjustments, which was awesome. So, um, if we could continue to, to build off of that, um, that's, that's great. So, Josiah Gray, potential Nats building block, he on Wednesday afternoon did well. Is Joey Manessis a potential building block for our rebuilding Nats? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to know what to make of Joey Manessis here. Hard to call him a building block when he's already in his age 30 season. Uh, He had been a career minor leaguer. This season was his 10th minor league season. Uh, The Nats on August 2nd selected the contract of Joey Manessis from AAA Rochester, but the guy is on fire right now. He on Wednesday afternoon homered again. Yeah, Joey Manessis homered in each game 
in this three-game series at the Cubs. Uh, Manessis on Wednesday afternoon has an at starting first baseman and number four batter, two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Uh, Manessis in the top of the fourth had a leadoff opposite field single to right field. Manessis in the Nats one run six had a leadoff homer to center field for a two nothing Nats lead. And the homer was some shot when it projected 422 feet per stat cast. And Manessis in the top of the eighth drew a two out six pitch walk. Uh, Joey Manessis in the Nats 6-3 loss at the Cubs on Monday night in the Nats two-run eighth had a pinch two-out full count two-run homer to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 6-3 despite having been down to the count of 1.12. That homer went a projected 405 feet per stat cast and Manessis in the Nats 6-5 win at the Cubs on Tuesday night as the Nats starting right fielder and number five batter two for four with a two-run homer and a single and the two-run homer was huge. Manessis in the Nats two-run eighth smashed a two-out two-run homer to left field for a 6-5 Nats lead. Joey Manessis, he now over 25 major league plate appearances with the Nats since being called up, has four home runs and is slugging 870. His OPS is an 870. That would be good enough. His slugging percentage is 870. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon on Joey Manessis. It's awesome, and um, and he's, he's working some really good at bats. It really is. I mean, and and we saw we saw what he did in, in, in the minor leagues. You know, um, you know driving the ball, um, but you know he's got a great approach up there. You know, with two strikes, you see him trying to stay on the ball and hit the ball the other way. Uh, when he gets ahead of the count, I mean, he really could juice juice the baseball. So um, he's having a lot of fun out there. He enjoys it. You know, we, it's funny we talked before the game. I said, hey, how do you, you know, how do you like really feel? You know, he said, oh man, this is this is a. Uh, really an awesome place you know and I said I'll tell you something I said any any stadium in the major leagues is awesome just as long as you have that uniform on he goes you are absolutely right <laughs> so uh, but it's good to see a man you know go out there and uh, like you like you said he waited a long time and uh, he's, he's 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 getting an opportunity and he's making the best of it yes he is but the Nats on Wednesday afternoon did lose and they lost because of several reasons. Uh, First of all, the Nats did not hit all that much. Uh, Just two runs, uh, nine hits, a homer, a double, and seven singles. Uh, Just one walk. The Nats struck out 12 times. The Nats went one for seven with runners in scoring position. Uh, No Luis Garcia for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon. He was a late scratch due to right knee soreness. Uh, Nelson Cruz, who left Tuesday night's game due to right shoulder soreness, did not start on Wednesday afternoon. He did pinch hit and actually had a pinch hit uh, he, in the top of the eighth, had a pinch two-out single. Uh, but Luke Voigt on Wednesday afternoon as an at-starting DH and number three batter, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts, left three men on base. He struggled on Tuesday night as well. Voigt in uh, the Tuesday night game as an at-starting first baseman and number two batter, 0 for 3 with a walk and three strikeouts. And also not hitting well on Wednesday afternoon was Victor Robles, who also had a very mixed game in the field. Uh, Robles was an ad-starting center fielder and number seven batter. 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left two men on base. His OPS for the 2022 regular season is down to being a horrendous 603. I mean, he had a brief little spurt here lately in which he had some hits, but the overall offensive body of work for Victor Robles remains really bad for a third consecutive season here. Uh, now, Robles on Wednesday afternoon did make a terrific defensive play. Bottom of the fifth, Runner on first, Robles made a great full extension diving backhanded catch of a P.J. Higgins liner in deep left center field for the second out. I mean, really impressive play 
by Robles. But also for Robles on Wednesday afternoon was a really bad defensive play. Uh, Robles in that Cubs four-run seventh committed a throwing error on a one-out first pitch RBI single by Nick Madrigal up the middle to tie the game at two as Robles airmailed a throw intended for home plate, but a throw that went all the way to the backstop. And what made the throw even worse was that Robles had no chance of throwing out the runner who scored Patrick Wisdom. And so the trailing runners were able to advance. So it's not just that the throw itself was bad. It's more so that the decision to make the throw to begin with was bad. That was a low baseball IQ play there from Victor Robles. And he has been guilty of that kind of a play before. You know, this was a boneheaded play by Robles who has proven himself to be prone to the boneheaded play. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon on Victor Robles. Yeah, man, we got we got to continue to stay on him. I mean, um, he once he threw it, he you know I watched his reaction. He knew he you know that that you know that shouldn't have been that ball should have been down. You know, I mean, you just got to understand the, the, the portion of the game, and that's something that he needs to start learning. I mean, you just can't come up there and fire the ball and and uh, and hope that's going to go. You got to have a, you got to have an idea. You got to have a plan before you get you know get the ball comes to you. So, um, but, you know, we're going to grill him again about it. I mean, I mean that you know that to me is a, a big play right there. We keep the run on first and second um, other things could happen but you know when you airmail a ball like that let the two runners uh, advance to the next base um, that was tough is it more difficult? I mean, obviously there's a contrast to him making that play and, and that diving play in the fifth inning. Like, what ways like to see that and then have the contrast with that? Yeah, I mean, as we all know, I mean, he, I mean, he could be electric out there, but it's it, once again, it's, it's those little things, right? I mean, understanding the game and, and 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 being in a position where, you know, in a situation like that, he knows what he needs to do before it happens. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing, you know. Think, you know, before the balls hit you, and understand what you need to do if the balls hit you. It's very frustrating with Victor Robles because he keeps making these foolish mistakes. And on the one hand, you know, you're tempted to say, well, he's still young. And yes, he is still young. This season is only his age 25 season. But on the other hand, this season is his sixth major league season in terms of a major league season in which he played in at least part of the regular season. So it's not like he has had six full major league seasons, but Victor Robles made his major league regular season debut all the way back in the 2017 season. I mean, he by now should have the boneheaded plays out of the system. He should not be making these boneheaded plays with the frequency that he is making these plays. And, you know, I don't know if Davey Martinez needs to be tougher on Robles. I don't know if Davey is doing everything that Davey should be doing and the message just is not getting through to Robles. I mean, let's be honest. The reason that he continues to play so much is that the Nats don't have many other viable major league options right now. I mean, that's an issue with a lot of guys right now. The reason these guys continue to play is because the Nats are so lacking in organizational depth. Uh, but still, I mean, you would like to see Robles grow out of these mistakes because it wasn't that long ago that the Nats had themselves a really exciting and promising player in Victor Robles. He was so good for the Nats during their 2019 World Series championship season, and he since then just has not come close to playing at that level. Uh, the Nats, by the way, overall continue to be brutal defensively this season. Entering Wednesday, the Nats for the 2022 regular season were dead last in the majors by miles 
in team defensive runs saved at minus 46. Uh, now, I've mentioned that Cubs four run seventh on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, that, in a lot of ways, was the game. Uh, three Nats relievers on Wednesday afternoon combined to allow two runs, one earned in one and two thirds innings. It's a shame. You got a nice start from Josiah Gray, but the bullpen was not able to hold up its end of the bargain. Uh, Steve Ciszek was charged with two runs, one earned, and got just one out. He and that Cubs four-run seventh faced three batters, but recorded just the one out. Uh, he entered the game in that bottom of the seventh with a runner on first, one out, and the Nats nursing a 2-1 lead. Uh, Ciszek issued a one-out seven-pitch walk of P.J. Higgins, despite Higgins having been down to the count at one point at one-two. Uh, Ciszek gave up a one-out first-pitch RBI single to Nick Madrigal up the middle to tie the game at two, and then Victor Robles committed that throwing error, and Ciszek then gave up a one-out full-count RBI sack fly to Rafael Ortega for a 3-2 Cubs lead. Uh, then Coral Edwards Jr. came into the game and uh, off some really good work by Edwards in the Nats' win on Tuesday night. Uh, I don't know if he was fatigued or what, but things just did not go well for him on Wednesday afternoon. He came into the game in that bottom of the seventh, runner on third, two outs, Nats trailing 3-2, and Edwards gave up a two-out RBI single to the first batter he faced, Ian Happ, to right field on an 0-2 pitch, for a 4-2 Cubs lead, uh, Victor Arano did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth, uh, but the Nats ended up losing 4-2. Uh, also, the Nats, after the game, optioned reliever Mason Thompson to AAA Rochester, this to make room for reliever Jake McGee, who the Nats on Tuesday claimed off waivers from the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, this season is Jake McGee's age 35 season. Normally, I am not at all a fan of a rebuilding team like the Nats optioning a reliever who is young and has potential in Mason Thompson to make room for a reliever in his age 35 season in Jake McGee. But it's a little different with relievers. And if the Nats view McGee as someone who they can rehab and fix and then bring back for next season and then flip next season, then okay, I'm open-minded to this Jake McGee experiment, especially considering that he does have history with Davey Martinez and Nats pitching coach Jim Hickey uh, during those guys' time with the Tampa Bay Rays. But yeah, I mean, the optics aren't great. You're a terrible team. You're a rebuilding team. And you're optioning a young, promising reliever in Mason Thompson to make room for a veteran reliever in Jake McGee, who, by the way, could leave you via free agency after this season. So the potential exists for the Nats to rehab McGee, to fix McGee, and then he leaves them this offseason and signs with another team. Uh, no game for the Nats on Thursday. Uh, next up for them is a six-game homestand that'll begin with a three-game series against right fielder Juan Soto and the San Diego Padres. Yeah, I don't know that anyone is really ready for this or wanting this, but we're going to be getting this uh, a little more than a week after the Nats traded Soto. They will be facing Soto. Game one against the Padres at Nationals Park on Friday night at 7.05. Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05. Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And Game 3, Sunday afternoon at 12.05, Paolo Espino will be the Nats' starting pitcher. So against Soto and the mighty Padres, the Nats are throwing Corey Abbott, Anibal Sanchez, and Paolo Espino. Not exactly Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz from back in the day. Uh, Abbott, Sanchez, and Espino. Uh, good luck to them.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So the schedule adjustment, no show for Friday, unless something major happens on Thursday. But I will have a show for you for Sunday, what will be episode 375, what will be a Commander's postgame show installment of the podcast of the Commander's preseason opener, home to the Carolina Panthers, Saturday afternoon at 1. It feels good to say that we have arrived at the time of year in which we are doing postgame show installments of the podcast for our football team, albeit preseason postgame show installments of the podcast. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Have a great Friday and Saturday, and I'll talk to you on Sunday. Our stadium, we've uh, dramatically upgraded. We're, we're encouraging everybody to come to uh, see all the changes we've done uh, to the stadium this year. I think it'll be quite impressive. We're going to have some uh, uh, big-time attendance shortly as uh, our staff, uh, our leadership team, Jason Wright and uh, Trista and the team have, have done an amazing job. So I, 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 uh, we're very, very optimistic also on the season. Uh, we've, we finally uh, ha- have ourselves a quarterback.